0: Very good morning to you. As Kate said, it's great to see you, especially if you're new or visiting. Uh, my name's Neil. I'm married to Kate, and together we serve this wonderful church community here, which celebrates its 36th birthday today. Planted by John and Ellen Mumford in 1987, so I think that makes us 36. Um, some of you have been here almost that long. 28 today. There are there are prizes. It's very very good to see you this morning. We're starting a new series. Uh, we're looking at Paul's letter to uh, the Colossians, uh, and each week what we're planning on doing is we're going to look at each one of the chapters. Don't worry, there's only four. Uh, but this morning, what I wanted to do, I wanted to start with a kind of bird's eye view. Uh, sort of an overview, if you like, of this short letter that, although it's short, contains within it this incredibly powerful message, and I think the message within Colossians is as relevant today as it was to the young church in Colossae, sort of back in around AD 60 or so. In essence, uh, this letter, it's a, it's a beautiful portrait of the risen Christ, the risen Jesus, and it's just a reminder Um, Of the fact that Jesus is all we will ever need. Jesus is all we will ever need. As Paul says, Christ is all and in all. Uh, So Colossians was written around, as I said, AD 60. Uh, It was written during one of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's many Imprisonments, and he was imprisoned because he'd been telling people about Jesus and the fact that Jesus was and is the risen Lord. And it is written to a bunch of people who Paul had never met uh, and who made up a, a, a new fledgling church community that he hadn't started. He didn't start the church there. Uh, this church in Colossae is now in uh, modern-day Turkey. It was, in fact, started by a co-worker of Paul's, a chap who went by the name of Epaphras, and he was actually from uh, Colossae. And as we understand it, what we think has happened is uh, Epaphras has recently visited Paul in prison. And he's visited Paul and he's updated him on uh, how the church back in Colossae was doing. And, you know, the church is thriving, it's doing well. But alongside his kind of glowing support for the Christians there, Epaphras also gives Paul some kind of insight into some of the cultural pressures that were kind of pulling them away, if you like, from following Jesus. And this is one of the reasons I think this letter is so important for us to look at uh, and why it's so relevant for us some 2,000 years later. And it's against this backdrop uh, that Paul writes this letter and it's mainly a letter to encourage the Colossians, but he's also wanting to challenge them. He wants to challenge them to address the issues that Epaphras raised and he wants to call them back into a deeper, more meaningful relationship with Jesus. Now, Colossians is nice and short, okay? It's like four chapters. So uh, my invitation to you um, while we're doing this series is could you just take some time each day, just to read through the book of Colossians, invite the Spirit of God to come and see what the Spirit of God highlights to you. It all kind of starts with this opening movement, if you like, focusing on Jesus as the exalted Messiah. And then what happens, Paul goes on, Paul starts talking about how uh, his suffering in prison is for Jesus. And then after that, he begins to address some of the pressures that I mentioned that the Colossians are facing are causing them to struggle with their faith and then he kind of um, rounds it all off with all that it really means to live life the way that Jesus has called us to live in and through the power of his resurrection. Okay so right back to the beginning uh, the letter opens with two prayers in uh, chapter one and first First off, what Paul does is he thanks God uh, that he's heard from Epaphras that the Colossians have been faithful to Jesus. They've been so faithful to Jesus. They're showing love to God. They're showing love to their neighbors, all because of the hope that they have in the new creation that Jesus has in store. And then Paul goes on to pray in the second part of uh, that opening section of chapter one that they would grow in their wisdom and their understanding about Jesus. And to help the Colossians, and indeed us do exactly that, Paul sort of bungs, he places this poem right into uh, the center of chapter one. And and this poem, which is really the centerpiece of chapter one, if if not the the whole letter, is this wonderful um, exhortation, wonderful poem about, and it's all all about the, the crucified and the exalted Messiah. And we'll look at that in more depth uh, next week. But just for today, with this overview, it has has these kind of two parallel verses. They're just crammed with imagery and language uh, from Genesis, from Exodus, from the Proverbs, from the Psalms. And the, the first kind of verse, if you like, Um, Paul shows how Jesus is the true image of God and in him, in Jesus, the full character, the full purpose of God is embodied in human form. Uh, He references Jesus, he says Jesus is the firstborn, it's an Old Testament phrase about Jesus sort of royal status over the whole of creation. He's talking about the fact that Jesus shares in the very identity of the one true creator, God. And by him, uh, all reality, all powers, all authorities, spiritual and human, have been uh, created. It is in Jesus, the Messiah, that we discover the very author and the king of Uh, creation. And then in the second verse, which kind of mirrors the first, uh, we discover that not only is Jesus the king of all creation, but he's also the one who's bringing about and heralding in a new creation. And so Jesus is the head of this new body. He's referring to Jesus' uh, people. He's referring to the church, this new humanity of which Jesus' resurrection existence is kind of like the prototype. And it's in Jesus that God's glorious temple presence dwells. And it's through Jesus' death and resurrection that God has reconciled to himself all uh, humanity. He's reconciled himself himself to all humanity, uh, to all spiritual powers, to the whole of creation. All of it comes about in and through the death and the resurrection of of Jesus. It really is a remarkable poem, and and Paul will keep kind of referring back to it uh, as he goes on uh, with his letter. And then what he he kind of goes on to do next is to show how the truth of this poem, the truth of these facts about who Jesus is, um, has transformed his own life, including his experience of suffering in prison. I mean, Paul's in chains. He's in prison. He's always in prison, right? And yet it doesn't seem to bother him right? And as far as Paul's concerned, he's being punished for announcing to the Greek and the Roman world that Jesus, and only Jesus, is the resurrected King and Lord of all. And so when Paul thinks about the suffering that he's going through, he he doesn't see it as kind of like, he doesn't see himself as a victim, he doesn't see it as a, a defeat. He actually sees it as a way in which he can participate in Jesus' own suffering. And so for Paul, his hardships are actually a cause for celebration, a cause for joy. And that's a real challenge for us. You know, we're reading this thing going, is this guy mad? He's been imprisoned for the literally stunning news that Israel's resurrected Messiah, this Jesus, is creating this new sort of multi-ethnic family. And, and more than that, just as the divine glory dwelt in Jesus... Um, so Jesus, in turn, dwells in and among his family, the church, or as uh, Paul puts uh, the way Paul puts it, he says, the Messiah is in you. Christ is in you all, the hope of glory. Yes, this letter contains this. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And then uh, Paul goes on to address some of the cultural pressures that... A sort of tempting the Colossians, if you like, kind of not necessarily turn away from Jesus, but assimilate the cultural stuff into their newfound faith with Jesus. They're not quite sure uh, how to do it all. You know, how do they contend with the sort of cultural zeitgeist um, that was kind of in their city at that time? And it was a real challenge. And, and, and on the one hand, they were being confronted by this sort of spiritual uh, polytheism and you know Colossae was you know as many of these cities were it was one of those cities with all kinds of gods lowercase g all over the place and so that was one challenge but then if that weren't enough they were also being challenged by some of the Jewish Christians who were knocking around who were telling them that they had to keep observing the old laws of the Torah so, you know, here you've got all of these new Christians, they're new followers of Jesus, uh, most of whom they would have grown up worshipping the various uh, Greek and Roman gods who did, you know, governed all the different areas of life. And as you can imagine, some of them just didn't know what to do. They just didn't know how to deal with this new faith in Jesus and, and live with the old stuff. And they didn't want to reject their upbringing and their family's traditions and values you didn't want to reject what were their cultural norms. And so many of them were just adding a little bit of Jesus in on the side as like one more deity that they could worship. Kind of a, a bolt-on Jesus, if you like, just for good measure. You know, I'll keep my cultural values and norms and maybe do a bit of Jesus on the side. Do you see why the letter to the Colossians is relevant to us today? as it was to them. But then there was also great pressure coming from the Jewish Christian community who wanted these non-Jews to obey all of the commands that would keep them you know, kosher by uh, following all of the laws found in the Torah. And Paul specifically mentions things like eating a kosher diet, uh, observing sacred days, uh, circumcision. You know, it's very similar to the problem that he addresses in the letter to the Galatians. And, and from Paul's perspective, what he's saying is like, you know, to give in to either of these, um, these pressures, you know, either the temptation to just carry on, you know, living life as normal, living as you, life as you would without, almost without Jesus, with a little bit of bolt on Jesus for good measure, or, you know, by getting stuck back under the burden of the law and religion and following rituals and feasts and restrictions on diet, and that's all coming back. There's all this resurgence in that. You know, you hear from time to time people saying, it's like, we ought to be keeping this and we ought to be doing that and we ought to be doing that. Well, you read Colossians. It's these uh, these sort of um, religious observations in an attempt to demonstrate holiness. Both of these things is kind of, Uh, sort of just a little bit of faith in Jesus and all of this tradition and stuff with the law according to Paul he's saying both of these things are a compromise and they're a failure to grasp who Jesus really is and who we really are in Jesus and all that he has done for us. See the Colossians used to live in you know fear of the spiritual powers or the elemental spirits as Paul calls them but Jesus has triumphed over these things through his death and resurrection. And in so doing, he's, he's freed the Colossians. He's freed us all from any obligation to them. And in exactly the same way, Jesus has fulfilled all of the laws of the Torah on our behalf, you know, none of which ever had the power to transform the human heart anyway. So what Jesus did through his life and his death and his resurrection lacks nothing, it lacks nothing, it doesn't need to be supplemented by following the law. He is the reality to which all of the laws of the Torah were pointing anyway. Instead of the law, followers of Jesus have the power of his resurrection. We all have the power of his resurrection to change and transform us which is what Paul goes on to explore. So following Jesus means joining in his new uh, humanity, this new prototype creation, because all of our lives have now been uh, hidden with Christ in God. We are all part of his resurrection life. And so this is why, I think it's in chapter three, Paul challenges the Colossians to set their minds on things above where Jesus, the Messiah, is seated in the heavenly realms at God's right hand. Fix your eyes on those things, fix your eyes on him. and. Uh, Paul isn't meaning here, you know, like think about one day, you know, you'll leave the earth and go to heaven, you know, one day, you know, I'll fly away, oh glory, glory, I'll fly away. Um, he's not talking about that. He's saying actually, no, rather the heavens are this transcendent place from which Jesus rules and reigns now over the whole of creation. And from, from there, one day he will return to transform, transform all things. Or as Paul says, when the Messiah who is your life is revealed, you too will be revealed with him in glory. So what Paul's doing is he's challenging the Colossians and indeed us to live in the present, to live in this moment, to live now as the new kind of humans that we have been called to be and the the new kind of humans that we will one day become in fullness, and he uses the image of their sort of old humanity, and he sort of, you know, depicts their old humanity characterized by distorted sexuality and destructive speech to contrast with what their life now looks like. You see, he's saying for followers of Jesus, all that old humanity, all that old stuff, the way that we used to live, the way we used to think, all of it died with Jesus on the cross, and it's now being replaced by his new humanity his new creation which is characterized by mercy and generosity and forgiveness and love and it's this new resurrection humanity that transcends any and all of the I don't know ethnic and social boundaries um, that might exist in our world to create um, in Paul's words a people where there is no Greek there is no Jew There is no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Praise God. And then as he wraps up his letter, um, Paul gets really practical and tricky for us. Um, As he he shows the Colossians what this new humanity might look like, in their context, in their situation, in a first century Roman household. Now, this is my favorite bit. This is where it gets tricky for us. You know, we looked at the verses from chapter four a few weeks ago, you know, but a Roman household, um, along with like many of the sort of Roman social structures, this is an incredibly authoritarian institution. Um, It was one where the male patriarch literally um, held the power of life and death over his wife, uh, over his children, and over his slaves. And Paul, I believe, uh, you need to read it for yourself and see what you think, but I believe Paul goes as far as he can to disrupt this whole way of thinking that is so out of step with the values of the kingdom of God. And so Paul says that, you know, look, it's not the patriarch, it is the risen Christ, it is the risen Jesus, not the patriarch, who is the Lord of all. And so in this context, you know, this context of a first century audience to whom he writes, um, he's saying, in the Lord, a wife um, should allow, a wife would allow her husband to become responsible for her. Uh, But at the same time, he doesn't stop there, he says you know a husband too is to be subject to Jesus who is Lord and he is the husband is to love his wife and place her well-being above his own and he goes on he says and in a home where Jesus is Lord children are not to be treated as subjects or objects but are called to maturity and respect he goes on and says parents who are to raise their children you're to do that with patience and understanding under the lordship of Christ And he goes on and he says, for those Christians who are slaves, you're called to honor your uh, human masters because they are not your real master. Jesus is. And then he goes on and says, Christians who have slaves, you are to understand that this person, this slave that you have, is not your property but rather a fellow member of Christ's body and is to be honored and embraced in love. And look, I get that this is hard. You know, and I know that so so much of it sticks in our throats, but you know, Paul's walking a very fine line here. Um, I think what he's trying to do is, I think he's trying to reshape and reform and reconstruct like the most basic Roman institution around Jesus um, who rules by his self-giving love. And so while Paul doesn't abolish, you know, the household structure outright, which maybe we wish that he had. Um, the risen Christ, the message of Colossians demands that these things, these institutions be transformed beyond the point of recognition you know, for any Roman living in Colossae. And again, you know, that's why this letter is so relevant to us because there are institutions and frameworks that we are involved in that need to be uh, transformed through Christ. And we get to see what some of this looks like um, uh, kind of most clearly in the letter's uh, sort of conclusion. Um, After a a request for prayer, Paul applies these instructions, uh, particularly about Christian slaves and masters. And we we discover that um, Tychicus, a great name, is is the one who's carrying and reading this letter to the church in Colossae. And he's accompanied by a certain uh, chap called Onesimus, And Onesimus was a former slave to a Colossian Christian named Philemon. And what we discover from another letter addressed to Philemon is that Anissimus had escaped from his master, uh, which was a crime worthy of punishment, if not death. But Paul asks the whole church to greet Onesimus as a faithful and beloved brother in the Lord. And then in the letter to Philemon, Paul says that Inesimus should be received no longer as a slave, but as a brother. This radical, uh, countercultural, upside-down, glorious kingdom of God. You know, this kind of whole letter, letter ends with this punch. So in this letter to the Colossians, Paul's inviting us to see that no part of our human existence remains untouched and unimpacted by the loving and liberating rule and reign of the risen Christ our suffering um, our temptation to compromise our moral character uh, the power dynamics in our homes all of it all of these things they all have to be re-examined and transformed by his resurrection power and we're being invited to live in the present in this present moment as if the new creation really did arrive when Jesus rose from the dead. Now, this is an exciting bit for you. Uh, Given that it's so short, I thought it'd be nice to do something a little bit different and because I don't necessarily have confidence that you're all gonna read Colossians every day for the duration of this series, I thought it would be good for us just to read the whole letter as we end. Can you cope with that? I sit comfortably? Then I shall begin, which will mean more to some of you than others. This is Paul's letter to the Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, a dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not yet met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day these are a shadow of the things that were to come the reality however is finding Christ do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen, they're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord As a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be paid for these wrongs. There's no favoritism. Masters, provide for your slaves with what's right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Tychicus will, send you, will tell you news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. Uh, If he comes to you, welcome him. Uh, Jesus, who is also called Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they've proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, Jesus sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis." Uh, dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Uh, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. We're gonna celebrate with something else.